Welcome, it's Eric Erickson and The Christmas Show. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive That's right, no politics today. We're not going to be doing politics. We're going to be diving into the reason for the season. I do this show every year, and like every year, I begin with the meaning of the season, the reason for the season from Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. That's Luke chapter two. Merry Christmas to you. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. I am here, no guest host for Christmas. We obviously, I, I've pre-recorded this because I'm doing interviews. And so those of you listening on weekends will hear this show the weekend before Christmas and those nationwide listening on Christmas Day. If you happen to be t listening to talk radio for some reason, um, I'll pray for you. But also, uh, you're here with me now for this. I do this every year, and it is actually something I used to not do. I've always done a Good Friday show. And Honestly, the, the people in charge of most talk radio stations abhor the idea of doing it, and the research comes back and suggests that uh, pe people sometimes get tired of me talking theology on the radio. It is, it is who I am. I'm not going to change, but I am mindful of it and, and try not to, except when I think it's relevant. But I will tell you, as I mentioned last week, why. On December 20th, 2006, my wife was given six months to live. On the same day, I lost my job. I had to tell my wife she had six months to live. The doctors had to go attend to issues in the emergency room where there had been a bus accident and a lot of people hurt. 
And so I told her that she had six months to live. That morning, I had lost my job. That evening, I was losing my wife. And then I had to go get my one-year-old from daycare. Then I got home, and it was raining. And I sat in the mud, exhausted. I got my child out of the back passenger side of my car and sat in the mud, leaned my head up against the side of the car and started crying. And my kid, at one, patted me on the face as if it was all going to be okay. But it wasn't. I took her inside. I put her to bed. I waited for family to come. I spent a lot of time praying and calling friends and asking them to pray and asking them to ask their friends to pray. And then I went back to the hospital to tell my wife who she was coming out of anesthesia when I told her the first time, maybe she didn't understand, maybe she didn't comprehend. She didn't seem to get it. She was argumentative. I needed to tell her she she had six months to live. They found at Labor Day that year uh, some spots in her lungs. They thought she might be having a pulmonary embolism. wasn't. It was a gallbladder attack. So they said, we'll worry about the spots later. They forgot about it until a week or some week and a half or so before Christmas. And then when they were scanning those spots, they found a blood clot in her jugular vein. And they decided between the spots and that, they needed to do a lung biopsy. So on the 20th of December, 2006, they did a lung biopsy and found a very rare form of cancer had spread to my wife's lungs and settled there. And she had six months to live. And if you've heard the story before, you know, it was a misdiagnosis. We had all the, all the talks you have as if you're going to die, the talks about where I live, do I remarry, whose family do I move towards, how do I raise my child alone without my wife? Thankfully, she was misdiagnosed. We found out late that night. Within two days, a group in Washington had bought my business, and I still had a job. But we went through the rinker for 24 hours. It was almost the worst Christmas ever. Had they not misdiagnosed her in 2006, the Mayo Clinic, which ultimately discovered it was benign, um, the Mayo Clinic called in 2016 as I was being given a year, uh, a day to live because of blood clots in my lungs, all my family being called to come see me in case I didn't make it through the night. My wife was being told she probably did have a rare form of cancer, and she does. It's genetic. It's rare. It's stage four lung cancer. There's no cure for it. But she takes a pill that keeps it in remission. The pill's supposed to work for two years, seven years later. It's still working. We just had our birthday uh, this past Monday, a week before Christmas. That's why I do this show. God has been very good to me, and I have not always been good to God. I am a terrible sinner. I, I sin every day, and yet God loves me, and I feel like I can spend Good Friday and Christmas tithing, if you will, some of my radio to God to glorify him and remind people that the reason for this season is not commercials, commercialism, money. It is a gift, the greatest gift God himself descended to man to walk among us, to live a perfect life, and was still tortured, punished, beaten, crucified, killed, buried, and conquered death because he wants a relationship with us. I get asked by atheists all the time, and they don't mean it hostily usually, but how can you believe in a God that would give your wife uncurable stage four lung cancer? And I tell them this is why. This and Easter are why. 
because we live in a fallen world. God doesn't give us disease. The twisted world from sin, sin has polluted everything. It's brought disease into the world. It's shortened our life expectancy. Sin has corrupted everything. It has twisted our bodies. It's twisted us. I grapple with sin all the time. Every day, I struggle with sin and illness, and my wife does. And yet God loves us so much. He wouldn't give us a reprieve from our sin, but he chose to come into the world as a baby laying in a manger, a food trough, hunted as a baby to be killed by Herod. His family had to flee. He grew up grew in wisdom and understanding, lived a perfectly flawless, sin-free life, the only man to ever live who lived a sin-free existence, and he was still killed and treated as a criminal, as a sinner. They nailed him to a cross. The men around him were tied to the cross. He was nailed to the cross, a crown of thorns on his head, mocked, cursed, spit on, beaten to within an inch of his life, beaten so badly you could see his ribs through his flesh. And they killed him. And if that was all there was, that would be the end of the story. And none of this would matter, except I believe he rose again from the dead. The God of all creation wants a relationship with my wife and me and you and everyone so badly. He didn't give us a reprieve from the sin and the disease and the destruction of this world, but he decided to live a perfect life and still die a painful death so that even though we die, we live The baby born to die, died and conquered death and came back. And I firmly believe it. When we speak of the hope of the resurrection, that hope, that word is more appropriately translated, the profound certainty of the resurrection. It's not a wishful thinking, this hope. I'm profoundly certain of it. I have felt him in my life. And the reason for this season is him and his birth. So coming up, I'll talk to you a little bit, but I also interview some pastors. I've never interviewed my pastor before, but I'm not only going to interview my current pastor, but my first pastor growing up as a kid. He's still my parents' pastor, and I'm going to interview Charlie's pastor, and I'm going to interview my friend Eric Reed, who lost his son December 4th several years ago. How do you counsel people with grief? What's the reason for the season in your mind? What's your Christmas memory? The things I want to ask them. How do they navigate their flock through Christmas? And how do you, for example, with Eric Reed, he lost his son in December after Thanksgiving. How does how do you deal with that grief? So many people are in despair this time of year. That's what the show is about. It's no politics today. It's the real meaning of life. Thank you for being with me. We'll be right back. You've deceived and lied. My child has gone into exile. But I will go. I will make a way home. And I will bleed like the The herald angels sing 
Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here across the United States of America. It is the Easter, well, not the Easter show. It is the Christmas show, and I'm delighted to have you with me. When we come back, I'm going to introduce you to my pastor. His name's Chip Miller, First Presbyterian Church in Macon, Georgia. I've been in that church since I was in college. Uh, I, I, I mentioned the reason I do this. Now, for those of you who aren't believers, this season, at least, you know, it's the Christmas season. I'm, I get annoyed with all the people who call it the holiday season. There are lots of holidays. Exactly which holiday? It's like the people who are like, oh, we got rid of, get rid of Christ in the calendar. Well, okay, we're starting the calendar, the A.D. from when, or, or the, the, the C.E., the, the, the Christian era or the common era. We're starting it when exactly? The birth and resurrection of Christ are two of the most important events in human history. And you can say he's not God. You can say all this stuff, but you can't really deny that he exists. You got to wipe a whole lot of people out of the history of the planet in order to make the case that Jesus of Nazareth does not exist. Now, you may not accept him as God. You may not accept him as the creator, but kind of hard to say he doesn't exist. I mean, there's more evidence written closer in time of his existence that he was a real person than Nero, an actual Roman emperor that nobody disputes existed. We have more written evidence of Christ's life in the form of copies of the New Testament written closer to his life than we do the um, Julius Caesar's um, history of the Gallic campaigns or, or whatever you call it. The, the closest copy we have to that, about 850 years late, we've got copies of the New Testament within 150, 200 years of Christ's birth. There's a lot of evidence that this guy existed. Now, Christians believe he was born of a virgin, and there are some people who say they're Christians and they don't believe it, but they don't tend to believe in miracles, and I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure about their faith. That's between them and God. But I will tell you the reason Christians believe that uh, Jesus is born of a virgin is because, one, it's the way they read Isaiah uh, and the pronunciation there, although Jews admittedly don't read it that way in Isaiah 8 of, the, of a virgin birth or a young woman's birth. But they also, Christians believe it because they believe that sin runs through the line of the Father and Jesus Christ had to be born sinless. Now, why does it um, come from the, the line of men? Well, Adam, fall of Adam. Now, a lot of non-Christians will say, well, Eve's the one who bit the apple first, but there's a problem if you read the story in Genesis. Eve was not yet created when God told Adam, don't eat of the fruit of the tree at the center of the garden. Don't eat of the tr fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He wasn't around. So Adam had to convey this to her, and it was Adam who did not convey it accurately to Eve. And Adam, who God himself told, again, he didn't tell Eve, he told Adam, uh, Eve says, eat this, and Adam's like, all right, I'll eat it. Forget what God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth and of me who rose, raised me from the dust of the earth, told me, I'll eat it. So sin runs through the Father. So if Jesus had a human father, he would have had sin. Through a miracle, the Holy Spirit descended upon Eve and Christ is conceived and born. There are progressives who will say, well, Jesus, Mary was a victim of rape. No, no, you read the Bible. Gabriel appears to Mary. Mary consented. She understood what was at stake. She, this holy woman, this is why she's so revered 
Protestants don't as much as, as Catholics because of um, the situation with uh, just just uh, Protestants look at it as Mary worship, and I know Catholics don't look at it that way, but that's what a lot of Protestants say about it. But they still revere this woman who was chosen by God to carry the Messiah, and she was willing to do it. She did. And because of that, because she bore Christ— almost a human Ark of the Covenant, she's revered. And Christ was born without sin. And he grew in wisdom and understanding and then lived a perfect life and was still treated as a sinner, treated as a criminal, executed, and then something had to have happened. He conquered death. And that is meaningful for so many people. So many people believe it, whether you do or not, but that's why we have Christmas. It's not the TVs and all that. Now, I'll be back with my pastor, but first, I got to tell you about Americans for Prosperity. Americans for Prosperity around the country is engaging for the fight for freedom and the fight for free markets, and Americans for Prosperity would love to have you on their side. All you have to do is go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric, americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Sign up with Americans for Prosperity. Over 4 million activists around the country have participated with Americans for Prosperity. They would love to have you, too. Americans for Prosperity is chapters in 36 states, and they're growing them in all the other states as well. They teach you to be a competent, effective warrior for free markets and free people. I cannot express to you enough how much I love this organization, and I thank them so much for being with me helping me and advancing the cause for freedom around the entire world. AmericansforProsperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here across the United States. Merry Christmas to everyone. When I was 18 years old, I moved from very rural Louisiana to Macon, Georgia to go to school at Mercer University, my alma mater. And the very first Sunday, I grew up in the First Baptist Church in Jackson, Louisiana. I figured I'd go to the First Baptist Church in Macon, Georgia. And the woman in the pulpit talked about how we spent too much time in Scripture and not enough time being sacred, and we needed to go to the hymnal instead. So I went home to my dorm, and I called my Baptist preacher. I said, what should I do? And he said, find a PCA church. I'd be one but for the sprinkling. And so I went to First Presbyterian Church in Macon, Georgia, where I still am, and the pastor then is the pastor still, and it's great. I finally, doing these over a decade, have my own pastor on the show with me, Chip Miller from First Presbyterian in Macon, Georgia. Thank you for being with me. Glad to be here. I, I don't know that I've ever told you that story, but that's literally how I, I found my way to First Pres was my Baptist preacher told me to go find a PCA church. Well, that's quite a journey. No, I, I, I've heard a little bit of that, but I didn't know for sure. But I remember meeting you way back when you were uh, at Mercer. <laughs> so, okay. I, I, now, first of all, um, I, I, I got to say, um, it's just I'm, I'm glad you're doing this. I've always been a little bit hesitant. To have my own pastor. You know, Ligon Duncan has told me one time that RTS gets hate mail 
uh, because people know I've taken classes there. And so I've always been a little bit hesitant about having my own pastor on. But considering you've also gotten a couple complaints here and there, I figure it's safe now to, to do this. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I want to talk to you as a pastor. Uh, this time of year, people struggle emotionally a lot of times because everyone has that that perfect Christmas memory, and, and so many people spend so much time and energy and sometimes money trying to duplicate it, and they never can. How do you? What do you want people to know about Christmas as opposed to trying to duplicate a perfect memory? Uh, that is a that is a good question, and I, I think I have some personal experience with it too. Because I grew up in a family, I had one sister growing up in in North Alabama. Uh, sorry, I don't mean to be a bad subject with Alabama and Georgia, but I, I will say that when I when I went to graduate school, when I went to seminary, I met a friend from Alaska, and he said, "Where are you from?" And I said, I, "I'm from a town called Gadsden, Alabama." And he said, oh, I understand the best place to live in Alabama is right in the middle. And I said, why is that? And he said, because whichever way you go, you're headed out. <laughs> but um, I, I didn't feel that way growing up. But I had I had one sister who, by the way, died during COVID. And uh, my father and my mother. And my father, who was not um, religious or Christian in any sense of the word when I was growing up, uh, he he had the highest expectations and anticipation about Christmas. He loved Christmas. He he had been a, a in the army uh, during World War II. He'd been stationed in Japan after the war, and uh, everything within him was to get home to be with his mother and father for Christmas, which he did. So Christmas was a huge day of the year, and the expectations of gifts and food and joy it it really puzzled me it was a head scratcher for me growing up why he was so interested in this and i i watched him uh, be very happy if everybody was happy at christmas i watched as a young boy i watched him cry if it did not meet his expectations so when i became a christian in high school i really began to look at christmas differently and then later becoming a pastor and noticed these expectations that the culture puts on us through advertising, sometimes even the church puts on us, that it's supposed to be kind of a magical uh, time of year in, in some broad sense. But Proverbs warns that disappointment makes the heart grow sick. And when we set those expectations so high of family together and peace and harmony in the home, which sometimes is there, sometimes is not, uh, then then in uh, one sense, it can be met with disappointment. Thankfully, not always, but sometimes it can be that way. I, you know, I, I used to, growing up in Dubai and, and then coming back to the States and trying to do Christmas there versus Christmas in, in Louisiana where we actually had family around. Um, I, I've got those great Christmas memories, but I, I've, Christy and I have really always tried to I mean, we, we've had the debates over um, how you do Christmas, the characters of Christmas. There may be kids listening, so I'll be diplomatic <laughs> yeah. here, that you introduce or not. Um, and it, I just, I, I've got memories of Christmas, but 
I, I find more and more now at this point that I'm, I'm at the point where I just, I really do just want to be around my family. And it, it's not so much anymore that the gifts that I get. And meanwhile, the kids get very excited about it. And I mean, one of the things that we actually really like has become our family thing is, well, at our church, the candle lighting on Christmas Eve, it, it's, I mean, my kids could miss anything in life, but if they miss the candle lighting at church on Christmas Eve, it's like you've ruined Christmas. It it, it is kind of funny to to see that connection in church and the meaningful the the meaningful experiences you have in a church. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm glad to hear that. I I didn't know that that your kids look forward to that. Um, I look forward to it, but at the same time, it's Christmas Eve is usually a very very busy day. Right uh, for uh, pastors many of us but uh yeah i understand about that with the uh the characters at christmas and and then if you have other relatives that have strong views one way or the other it can be a collision <laughs> when the family gets together but i i did i did hear one person say that uh we all go through various stages with santa claus you you probably heard this at first you believe in santa claus then you go through another stage in life where you don't believe in Santa Claus. And then as you become a parent, you are Santa Claus. And now the way I feel later in life, you look like Santa Claus. <laughs> so. uh, trending in that direction for sure. <laughs> let, let me ask you the, theologically um, at Christmas, obviously the, the virgin birth is, is I mean, the, the whole story is, is set around the angel Gabriel uh, appears to Mary, and, and there are a whole lot of people these days who uh, I, I actually heard a pastor um, of a very mainline denomination say that uh, the resurrection, you, you you have to believe in a physical resurrection of Christ, and I'm kind of surprised this guy said that, but he's like totally dismissive of, of a virgin birth of Christ. It doesn't really matter. You don't have to take away from it, and, and I've always kind of been of the, if you can't believe the resurrection, you're probably not going to believe the virgin birth, and yet they're kind of intertwined and in, in, uh, essential, I would think, in what Christians view of Christmas and, and faith. Yeah, I'm with you. I, uh, In fact, you and I attend a, a church, I pastor the church here, where um, a, a person who came out of that church was J. Gresham Mason, who started Westminster Seminary and who almost was persuaded in the late 1800s as he studied in Germany to the neo-orthodox position of, of scripture, which the virgin birth would be strictly however you want to interpret it. But what does it mean to you rather than whether it really happened? And the first major book he wrote that is still the standard work on the subject is, the, is entitled The Virgin Birth. In fact, I was given a copy um, since his mother attended Wesleyan College here in Macon. I was given a copy that uh, was signed by his mother and he he knew that the virgin birth was foundational to the Christian faith. But just like you said, I think we have to start, if there's a God, if there is a God who's all-powerful, why would we rule out the possibility, not only of the physical bodily resurrection of Christ, but also the virgin birth of him coming into the world so as not to inherit the sin nature passed down from Adam? So as far as that pastor or anyone else, I, I would ask, why don't you believe in it? Is because you think the Bible doesn't teach it, which I think could be explained very quickly and clearly that it does. Or is it because you don't think it's possible? But if you take that route, just like you said, I don't know how you could believe much of the Bible at all then. 
uh, that if if we're going to take all miracles out of the Bible and just say that our worldview doesn't allow them, then we certainly cannot believe in forgiveness of sin or whether there's a God or or answers to prayer. Now, last question for you before I let you go. Everybody does have a particular Christmas memory. Um, so I'm, I'm curious what your particular, when, when you think yeah. about Christmas, what's your memory? Well, it, and part of this is because there's a picture hanging on my office wall, my study wall, of me at age six with a Lionel train set on Christmas morning. And that is the only thing I still have tangible from all the Christmases growing up. So I think it would be, that doesn't sound very spiritual. <laughs> it's, uh, but I've still got that train and uh, about every two or three years I set it up and our 16 grandchildren will come and they see that train. And I tell them, this is the only thing from my childhood that I still have from Christmas. And so that's, that's what I remember. I, I have positive memories, uh, very positive memories of Christmas. And um, so that's probably the main one, Eric. Okay. And this will become it now. This radio, <laughs> this interview with you will become the memory from here on out. Well, you know, I got to say, I, I, when I was a kid, I, I got a Lionel train set. I loved train sets when I was a kid, and it got lost in our move overseas. It never showed oh, up. No. Um, and man, I, I, it's to this, somewhere in the sand. It, it really is. It's on a, on a tanker ship somewhere still sailing the world all these years <laughs> later. I, I really, every time the, the kids at Christmas, I keep thinking, man, a, a train set with a switchable track. That's, but I never tell them that's what I want because it just sounds like, <laughs> why would dad want this? <laughs> yeah. Hey, let me end on one, one other note. And okay. This, this, it's not a, it's not to be a depressing note. But I mentioned my sister had passed away uh, just uh, during COVID, and my parents died years ago. When when and so I'm the only member left of my immediate family. And if when a person gets into that position where all their siblings and parents have died, even though I'm love my wife and our kids and grandkids, it is a strange feeling. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I'm not even going to say it's sad. It's just. Even that question you ask about my memory of Christmas, I'm the only one now with those memories of all those Christmas mornings with my sister and my parents. And that is just a, if anybody else listening to this is in that situation, it, it's weird. It's, it's just kind of strange. And I never heard anybody talk about that before I began to experience it. Yeah. I, you know, now that you mention it, I... I guess that would be to be the last memory bearer of the family that, that, yeah. So, okay. So now that, that of course raises a question of, uh, I mean, pastorally, theologically, I mean, how do you compartmentalize it or, or just hold on to something like that? Oh, I hold on to them. And I, uh, when I see like nieces or nephews, I, I tell them some of those memories about their mother, my sister, and I try to pass those on. But in that sense, I'm the, as you just used the term, I'm the bearer of that information. Uh, but I, uh, again, I just didn't ever hear anybody talk about that that I remember before uh, getting to this point in life. Well, I'm glad you brought it up. Listen, thank you very much for spending some time with me. I always I hesitate to bother you for stuff like this, and I'm really glad you were able to. No. Hey, thank you very much, Eric. Absolutely. Now, before I get out of here, I got to tell you about Vision Computers. Listen, y'all, I realize this really applies now to businesses at the end of the year. 
because the rest of you, you got your Christmas presents done. Although there are 12 days of Christmas, you could still be buying Christmas presents. But if you're a small business, mid-sized business, big business, and you're looking to buy computers, invest in technology before the end of the year to offset some taxes, look to Vision Computers. Vision Computers can build you your PCs, laptops, or desktops, and then become the company that services them for you. And so your employees get a phone number. They Your employees can call, reach out themselves and ask Vision for help faster than a Google search. Vision Computers can answer the phone. Even on a holiday like Christmas, they'll answer the phone, help your employees navigate their problem. They save you money. They keep you from having a lot of downtime. Vision Computer is a great company to do business with. Go to visioncomputers.com or call them at 404-COMPUTE. Call Vision Computer at 404-COMPUTE. Tell them I sent you, and they can save you even more money. 404-COMPUTE or visioncomputers.com. Creation aches and groaned While hearts they searched and roamed Waiting for a sign That their Messiah soon would come Living word, please come and dwell in us. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. It's the annual Christmas program across the United States of America. Thank you very much for being with me. The phone number is irrelevant because I got no call screener. Thank you to Jim. I've got to say this every year. Jim, he works on the holidays and he's such a blessing to me. Uh, and I appreciate it. And he is behind the board uh, running this show as ever for the holidays. And so, Jim, thank you. I want you to know how much I appreciate you for doing that. I wanted you to also know I appreciate uh, the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping me. They helped me get my syndicated show off the ground. Um, they were the very first people to step up and help. Uh, they run First Liberty Building and Loan. They're out of noon in Georgia, and they help businesses grow. And if you're buying a building or building a building, or you're buying a franchise, the Frost family might be able to help you. They see a lot of potential where other lenders don't, uh, and they're they're happy to talk to you. FirstLibertyGA.com. Tell them I sent you. FirstLibertyGA.com. Get their contact info. Spend a few minutes with them. They really just want me to wish you a Merry Christmas, though. They are strong believers, and they want me to tell you Merry Christmas and that Jesus is the reason for the season. Now, I want to spend more on this, um, but let me begin at the beginning for those of you who don't know the theology here. So in the beginning is the fall, obviously, in Genesis 3. Um, God, of course, comes to mankind. The serpent has uh, convinced the woman to uh, eat of the fruit, and God curses the servant and of the woman uh, he says to them uh, that I will, or says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is called the Protoevangelicum, the first annunciation of the gospel that there shall be an offspring of the woman and he shall bruise the serpent's head. The serpent shall bruise his heel. That is 
the first an- announcement that there will be a woman who will give birth to a child. Now, it is clear that Mar- that that uh, Mar- that Adam and Eve assumed uh, may- maybe it's Cain. Um, because Cain sounds like the Hebrew word for gotten, um, that they, they, they've gotten out of their mess, (laughs) but then, um, obviously it's not to be. And so they give birth to Seth and Seth means the appointed one. Aha. You see what they're thinking, except God has plans. God always has plans that are different from our plans. His ways are not our ways, and it was not Seth. Well, you fast forward, and they get to Noah, and Noah's name is a play on on Sabbath or rest. And so all this time, now it's now it's time. Okay, now now maybe it's this one. And for thousands of years, it's not. And then this this virgin gives birth in a manger in Bethlehem, in the city of David. God had told David that uh, David wanted to build a a house for God, and and God uses some wordplay with David and says, you want to build me a house, I'm going to build you a house, meaning a dynasty. It's going to last forever. And he brings us Christ, the Lord. And Christians believe that Jesus Christ is God, that there is one God, but in three persons, a trinity, Christians believe if you reject the Trinity, you're you're rejecting Christianity. Now there are there are religions that say no, no, I I'm a Christian, but I reject the Trinity. Christians say Christianity is premised on the Trinity, and it is that Triune God, the second person of the Trinity, who came to Earth to live a perfect life and die, and then conquered death, and now He's in heaven, and we have the Holy Spirit. And it's complicated and convoluted, but the bottom line is God loves us and wants to be with us. Coming up, you heard from my current preacher, Chip Miller of First Presbyterian Church in Macon, Georgia. You'll hear from Dr. Joe Neesom, the preacher I had growing up. My wife considers him the gold standard for expository preaching. He lives in Jackson, Louisiana. You're listening to Eric Erickson, and this is The Christmas Show. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a child Welcome is back. Born. It is Eric Erickson here. So I, I had on for the first time uh, the pastor where I attend church now, Chip Miller from First Presbyterian in Macon, Georgia, but it's my pleasure. My, my my wife says it is her gold standard pastor is the pastor I grew up with, uh, Joe Neesom, Dr. Joe Neesom at First Baptist Church at Jackson, Louisiana. Now, I was a kid when you started there, and how, what year was that? It was 1983, Eric. Uh a little over 40 years ago. Wow. I, you, okay, so I, I knew I was a kid, but it, I, I just, it seems like I remember being older than that. And and we've had some experiences together because when I was a kid, you know, my <laughs> grandmother had the heart attack in church. I was sitting next to her and all of my relatives in the Methodist church next door had to run over and we'd already passed the offering plate around. Uh, I was thinking. I was thinking about it this morning. Uh, <laughs> uh, she passed out completely, fainted dead away. And uh, we stretched her out on a pew 
you went next door to the Methodist church, I guess because you thought there were uh, uh, EMTs. Yeah, Leafia was, but, my oldest sister was supposed to be over there, and she had actually sneaked out of church and gone to a movie that morning with her boyfriend. <laughs> okay. Well, well, at any rate, uh, it, unfortunately for the new Methodist pastor, it was his first Sunday. And so uh, he, he had just gotten up to, uh, to start preaching, and, um, and you, you whispered to someone, you know, I, I don't know what's happening, but my mother's had a problem over at the Baptist church, and it began to go through the Methodist church. And so as he preached, first one person would get up and leave and head for the Baptist church. He could see them going out the back door. And uh, uh, so, 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 and then another until finally half the half the congregation was gone. I think for for him, but the, the, uh, they kept your grandmother overnight in mm-hmm. the hospital for observation, and uh, and I went to see her uh, the next morning, and I told her I said, look, you can pass out in church anytime you want to. Um, that's fine. But uh, if you could do it a little earlier in the service, we could get the Methodists over in time for the offering next time. You know what I'm <laughs> well, yeah. It, it, so, so for people to understand this one, my, so my sister was, was dating uh, my mom's best friend's son, and they were supposed to be in the Methodist church and it sneaked out. But also, like my grandfather had been the Methodist, and so half my relatives were at the Methodist church. Right. and. So right. they, they all came over. It was like a family reunion in church with my grandmother laid out on the pew. <laughs> right. Now, I, <laughs> right. I, I've got to bring the, this subject up because I've I've asked uh, the different people I've interviewed favorite memories uh, of Christmas growing up, and, and I have one, uh, and it involves you because my favorite, hands down, I could listen to it on repeat all year long, my favorite uh, Christmas song slash hymn is O Holy Night. And I remember every year growing up at Christmas, you would sing it in church, and I don't get to hear it anymore. It really is just one of the the most beautiful Christmas songs I have ever encountered in my life. And even Christy was with us one time. It met met with difficulty at the beginning. You know, it was um, uh, uh, French, and uh, the, the bishop or archbishop of Paris banned it. (laughs) <laughs> they thought it wasn't appropriate. <laughs> it, I I just it's such a it's such a a beautiful song and and I miss hearing you sing it at Christmas, um, which I, I guess to well, you some need to come you need, you need to come and I'll 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 do that for you. Perfect. Yeah, Christy <laughs> just, wants right. it as well. So now now I I, I want to ask you a little bit more about preaching because I I can mm-hmm. say this now that um it, it's you and me talking that. My wife, if she could drive over every Sunday uh, to hear you preach, she would. And ever since I was a kid, the expository preaching style that you do, where more so than a lot of pastors that I've encountered, weaving the Old and New Testament together, um, because I, I, I do think there's a tendency sometimes to focus so much on the New Testament, we forget that this is one story. Right. I really learned. I, I really uh, got my approach to preaching from a pastor, not from seminary. I, uh, I, long before I was a, even thought I might be a pastor, I was hearing, sitting under the ministry of a man named A.W. Jackson, who was um, uh, uh, pastor of 
a church in Arlington, Virginia. And uh, I, I'm not from there, but I, the army had sent me there. And so I was part of that congregation. But he, he took the same approach, uh, you know, verse by verse exposition. For me, as it's, it's simplistic to a lot of people. But for me, preaching is just explaining the word of God to people so that they can understand it and be nourished by it. And I appreciate what you said about the um, about the the Old Testament connection as well and understanding. I, I think what a lot of people don't understand is the um, what theologians call the eschatological character of Christmas, of Advent, and the Christmas season from the Old Testament perspective. Um, it's 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 an Old Testament expectation that certain things would come one day. And then we have the announcement of their coming with, um, uh, with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, for instance, uh, you have the expectation of the kingdom of God being established in a way that it had never been uh, experienced before. Uh, Daniel chapter 7, uh, Daniel has this, this um, he, a vision from the Lord. He sees the, the very throne room of God, and he sees someone who, who is described like a son of man. In other words, he looks like a human being, and he comes, and he receives a kingdom. He, he receives dominion. He receives authority. He receives a kingdom, and the kingdom is described as not just for the Jewish people, but for all the world. It's a universal kingdom, and it's described as being everlasting, and it's described as uh, as as being indestructible, and and so uh, so you have this expectation that was taught among the um, Israelites, uh, the Hebrews, uh, down through those uh, Old Testament ages, and then the Lord Jesus Christ comes. He's 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 born um, uh, and recognized. Uh, as as the one who is born to be king of the Jews, you know, and we know the situation with Herod. Uh, Herod is threatened by this because he was an Idumean, not a Jew, and uh, and uh, uh, so there's that. But when the Lord Jesus, when when well, when John the Baptist begins to um, to uh, ha have his public ministry, uh, he preaches repent. Why? Because the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Same thing with the Lord Jesus Christ. So they were saying that what, what we've longed for for so long has now come, and it's come with the birth of this child and ultimately with his death and with his resurrection and with his ascension. So, uh, so exactly how did the kingdom come? Uh, and the answer is, well, in, in a way that they weren't expecting, they thought that the Messiah would come and, and uh, that he would uh, use his miraculous powers not just to multiply uh, fish and bread, but to multiply weaponry, and uh, they'd be able to toss the Romans out and perhaps lord it over all the earth. And, and the Lord said, my kingdom's not like that. Um, uh, my, my, uh, the citizens of my kingdom are going to be servants uh, to one another and to the world and, 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 and for the gospel's sake. And, and the one who it wants to be the greatest in the kingdom is going to be bond slave of all, because he's referring to himself and ultimately his atoning death uh, for sinners on the cross. So, so the kingdom was established in Christ because he's 
that's where you see the perfect obedience of God made manifest in a, in a, uh, in a human life. If you have a, um, we, we have ceremonial kings and queens, a few still around, but if you're talking about someone with real authority for it to be a real kingdom, uh, they would have to, um, they would ha- there would have to be uh, the king would have to be obeyed and, and and in the case of the Lord Jesus Christ he's obeyed the will of the Father perfectly and so uh, having done that he, the kingdom is established in his person to see him is to see the kingdom of God uh, you know he talks with Nicodemus mm-hmm. about being born again and and to see him is to see the kingdom to see the perfect obedience that we need but don't have because we're sinners. And so we cast ourselves on him. There, there, so there's, uh, that's one major expectation from the Old Testament. But there are others. It's, uh, uh, you remember when the um, uh, disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus uh, after his resurrection, uh, he said, oh, he called them foolish. He said, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ, remember Christ is not his name, it's his title, he's Messiah, right. mm-hmm. the anointed one. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and enter into his glory and beginning with Moses and all the prophets? He interpreted to them in all the scriptures, and for them that would have been the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament at, at, at this point, the things concerning himself. And so there was an expectation, <clears throat> there was an expectation of, that God's kind of life, even everlasting life, would come, and that's the emphasis in the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, with um, with Paul, there's that Old Testament expectation about the righteousness of God coming in a perfect way, uh, and that the Lord, Jeremiah, the Lord is our righteousness. And so Paul says in Romans 1 that a righteousness from God has come down. Uh, there, there are others. There, uh, the prophet Joel talks about a new age of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit being coming not just on Jews, but on all people. And then Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost and says, it's here. This is, mm-hmm. this is precisely what is taking place. So, so, uh, so when we celebrate, I, I love Advent and I love Christmas because we're remembering that the birth of the babe is what set in motion all of this realization of these Old Testament expectations. So before I let you go here, um, I got to ask you just briefly, everybody tends to have just that one Christmas memory uh, that they hold on to. Which one's yours? (laughs) Oh, my. Oh, my. I I don't know, Eric. Putting you on the spot. (laughs) Yeah, um, <laughs> this is going to probably seem a bit strange, but but when I was a preschool child, uh, we were going to ride around and look at Christmas lights in um, in Laurel, Mississippi. That's where I grew up. Uh, kind of an interesting town because it was founded by Yankees from Clinton, Iowa. And so it, it was a real mix. It was sort of a cosmopolitan kind of place with people from the Northeast and Southerners and so on. But uh, there was a big Christmas was a big deal and uh, decorating for Christmas and the lights and all of that. So we were going to ride around and uh, I, I seem to have been um, 
probably it was probably uh, an early appendicitis thing, but I got a big stomach ache and they had to take me to the doctor. And so my Christmas celebration wound up being going, going to the doctor. I don't know why that's memorable. <laughs> well, I, I, I can, I can totally see why it was memorable. Maybe not in the way that anyone would want, but that works. Unfortunately, I got to let you go there. Um, but gosh, I'm so yeah. glad to be able to talk to you about this. Eric, um, have you got just a moment more? I do. Uh, let me, um, I was thinking about a carol uh, this this morning. Uh, it's one of my favorite. It's not that well known by a lot of people. It's not a Silent Night or a Heart the Herald Angel sings, but it was it was written by Aurelius Clemens Prudentius. He lived three forty eight to four thirteen. So this is an old one. Mm. And uh, you're probably familiar with it, but it says, "Of the Father's love begotten." Ere the worlds began to be, he is Alpha and Omega, he the source, the ending he. Of the things that are, that have been, and that future years shall see evermore and evermore. O ye heights of heaven adore him. Angel hosts his praises sing, powers, dominions bow before him and extol our God and King. Let no tongue on earth be silent, every voice in concert ring evermore there are more verses but the last one says christ to thee with god the father and O holy ghost to thee him and chant and high thanksgiving and unwearied praises be honor glory and dominion and eternal victory evermore and evermore amen isn't that great that is fantastic Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here across the United States of America. The phone number doesn't matter. I'm so used to saying the phone number, but it really doesn't because there's no way for you to call in. But you can text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. If you're enjoying these conversations, you can get the podcast. Uh, You should subscribe to the podcast. You can get the live stream. So throughout today, if you click on the live stream, the 24-7 stream, you'll be able to hear it in repeat. Got to click the 24-7 stream. Uh, you know, it's weird. So I've got two live streams. One live stream is live, noon to 3 Eastern time. And then the 24-7 cycles that show uh, for 24 hours. Um, and at 3 p.m. every day repopulates that day's show. Um, but I really, I, I hope you guys will subscribe. And I thank you very much because I wouldn't be able to do this but for you guys uh, it means a lot to me, it, it, tremendously, it means a lot to me that uh, you put up with this show. And also, to the stations out there, uh, I couldn't do this show without all of the stations and the advertisers, and I want to thank them all. Uh, we have grown so much now. We're coast to coast, 
It has been a whole lot of work. Uh, earlier this year, I signed with Compass Media, my syndicator who helps get me out there. My agent, John McConnell, has been just so um, helpful. Uh, Rush Limbaugh actually uh, got me my agent. Uh, Rush was a dear friend who I miss dearly, and Rush got me my agent. Um, I, I am very mindful that I could not do all of the stuff I do without so many other people being willing to help me. Uh, and to help me grow. And so thank you to all of them. Thank you to Philip. Thank you to Charlie. Thank you to Candace. Uh, Jim, I've thanked Andrew. Thanks to Ken Charles at WSB. So many people. Now, when we come back, we've got more conversations to have, including with Charlie's pastor. Uh, looking forward to you talking with, hearing me talk to Alan. Um, right now, one of my great advertisers, longtime advertiser, is Omaha Steaks, and I am thrilled to have Omaha Steaks with me. They have been with me from the very beginning, it seems. And right now, you go to omahasteaks.com. You put in Eric, E-R-I-C-K, as your promo code at checkout. You save 30 extra dollars at omahasteaks.com. They are tremendous people, and they got 50% off site. Why? Get some of the bacon wrap fillets. Get the bacon wrap pork chops. Those things are incredible, y'all. My wife, of course, loves the caramel apple tartlets. There's so much available at Omaha Steaks. At checkout, if you put in uh, the promo code ERIC, you can save 30 extra dollars. It's worth it. It's delicious. OmahaSteaks.com. Fill up your cart, get it delivered to your door, and at checkout, Use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, and you will save an extra $30. All of this, omahasteaks.com, and thank you to them for supporting me. It's Eric Erickson here across the nation. It is the Christmas show, coast to coast. The phone number, 877-973-7425. So I, I have interviewed uh, my pastor from when I was a kid and my current pastor. And uh, this year, uh, especially, I am also interviewing Charlie's pastor. It, it's have not done this before, and, and Alan and I have not met, but Alan Scott is the senior pastor of LifeBridge Community Church in um, your... Now, where are you in, in Cobb County now? Is Ackworth? We're in Kennesaw. 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 Well, you know, my kid almost wound up going to Kennesaw State. She got admitted to, to there into Mercer. Kennesaw was her number two. She wound up going to Mercer. But uh, my assistant, Great Candace, call. her son, just graduated from Kennesaw. It's a neat, really growing community up there. You guys get, I mean, it just seems like more and more traffic growing up in Kennesaw. We do. It's an awesome place to live and a great place to pasture. I can imagine. Now, I, and I actually, like I've done with everybody I've interviewed for the Christmas show, I want to talk to you about that pastoring and your how you look at it. Because the Christmas season, the holidays, you, you get so many people who they get depressed. They're not with family. Uh, they've had relatives who have deceased, so they're not with them this time of year. How do you kind of remind people the, the focus of the season isn't on the presence of the tree and, and, and the, the family and, and the community, but is actually on the birth of Christ. Well, um, Eric, first of all, and let me back up just a second and say thank you for inviting me on the show. Cause I've, I've heard you speak about this show 
And I know that you count it as one of the most important uh, things you do all year. So I count it a privilege just to, uh, to be a part of it. But, you know, I, I, I had a story yesterday in my office that may answer your question. A, a 57-year-old man walked in. And uh, he needed to talk. He needed pastoral help. And he was uh, lonely. He's single. And he is so worried about what's happening in the world. In fact, he's, he's uh, delved into YouTube videos and conspiracy theories. And he had books in the car. And yet he told me he was depressed. He knows what's about to happen, he says. And he's lonely and he's angry and he needed help. And what I did in that situation was I, I used the Christmas story to say, you have to remember that God is in control. I, I, I think sometimes, you know, we romanticize the Christmas story. You know, we keep uh, we keep cattles, uh, cows that are lowing and, and the poor babies laying there all silent night. And the little Lord Jesus, you know, no crying he makes. And that's just bad theology. I mean, that that's we sentimentalize things and we miss the Savior. So, what what I what I told this this uh, this hurting, depressed, mad, angry man was that the Christmas story tells us that God is in control. He has a plan, and Jesus is at the center of it. And when you get back to that, you start to regain hope. You start to regain your source of hope when you when you put your hope in politicians or culture, or you get so messed up with what's happening these days, um, you, you lose your focus, you, lo- you, lose your, uh, you lose your ability to have hope, which he lost his. But the Christmas story, it's not about denying reality. You know, I think sometimes when we keep that little baby in the manger, the what did the Ricky Bobby say, the six-pound, <laughs> nine-ounce baby Jesus? Yes. When we keep him in the manger, yeah. When, he's, when he stays there, then we're, we're actually trying to deny reality, but, but it's actually about embracing the reality of how we get out of our mess. And, you know, the, the way Jesus comes, uh, you know, wrapped in claws and lying in a manger was a sign for us, a, a sign that, that, that he's coming into our mess. He's embracing our mess so he can get us out of our mess. And so I, 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 you know, will talk to anybody about the mess they think we're in as a nation or them personally. But I think the Christmas story is a great way to point them to the hope that is God coming to us, you know, to, to, to live with us, to relate to us. I mean, what an incredible, and we talk about theology of the incarnation, but for him to come to be like us, live with us live 33 years but sinless so he could be the perfect sacrifice i mean where else do we go for our hope you know you, you mentioned the bad theology i have a, a dear friend of mine who's a pastor who says he he just simply cannot bring himself to sing away in the manger in his church because the no sound that he makes right. he says it's such bad theology he was a baby of course he's going to cry and and we we put yeah. so much on the the divinity of christ we forget he came to live as a human being yeah, we, we miss who he really is by trying to make him into something. Maybe we need that, you know, Eric. Maybe the season is so busy and, and the world is so jacked up. Maybe we need a silent night. But the truth is that that, that first Christmas, you know, there was murder. There were, uh, you know, homeless teenagers and forced immigration. <laughs> it corrupt politicians. There's extreme poverty. There's foreign astrologers. I mean, there's all this messy stuff. 
and it just it it I take great heart in that because I'm a messy pastor. And I thank God that he that he came in our mess to embrace our mess because I'm messy too. Well, and uh, apparently also, if we believe the one song, there's a mom who just gave birth to a baby who really wanted a little drummer boy to come in and shake things up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how about how about the wise men? I mean, we can jack that one up pretty good too, you know? Right. We think, well, there's three of them, and the Bible doesn't say how many. And we think they're in our nativity sets. And I know one pastor, uh, J.D. Greer, says when, when his wife pulls out the nativity set, he always takes the three wise men and sits them across the room. He says, because they weren't there. Right. <laughs> they weren't there. It was like six months later. He says, if you want to really be real about this, pull your wise men out about July. Because <laughs> uh, they weren't there. And, and we don't think there's three of them just because they had, you know, three gifts. We think probably there was an entourage. You know, Herod was disturbed. And I don't think he gets disturbed by three foreigners in bathrobes with Christmas presents. I think he gets disturbed with, with an entourage of very wise scientists, probably, you know, 20, 30 people riding into town, stirring things up, saying, where's the king of the Jews? And he thinks he's the king of the Jews. That gets it stirred up, and that gets it real. I mean, that's real theology. That's the real Christmas story. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm so glad you said that, because we, we do kind of, we, we put on the show and, and the live nativities that a lot of church has, and, and not to knock them, but it, it is a, right, a messy, right. complicated story of this this virgin gives birth to a child uh, they they've had to travel a distance to get to Bethlehem and ultimately wind yeah. up having to flee for their lives and there there's so much in the mess of everybody I think about my wife who doesn't want to have friends in the house unless the house is just so and spotless and here comes this <laughs> this woman gives birth to a kid in a food trough you got these people showing up from abroad everything is a wreck and and I mean, it's it's a messy thing, and yet here's the redeemer of the world, the creator of the whole world, who's condescended to us as this baby in the manger to make peace, right? Not not to just bring uh, uh, global peace as in miscongeniality, but to make peace with His creation. That that we 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 were at enmity with God, we were enemies of God, and anytime you you know, face God. I think the shepherds were not just terrified because this angel appears. I think they were terrified just as we are when we face our creator and we realize how holy he is and yet how, how you know, jacked up we are. But, but I love the message, do not be afraid. In fact, uh, many translations miss a word there. It says, behold, behold, do not be afraid. Behold with an exclamation mark. You know, like ponder and treasure this because this is the announcement of the gospel, the, the good news, which says we can't save ourselves. We can't create our own peace, our own shalom. There's only one who can do that. And so um, the, the reality of, of me being so much like the shepherds, uh, you know, smelly, ostracized, um, can't earn my way, can't fix things myself. The reality that Jesus came to the shepherds first gives me so much hope, just uh, enlivens me when I think about that. Now, I've only got about a minute and a half left here, but I, sure. I, I put everybody on the spot, and at some point people oh, will catch boy. on that I ask this question, but I always try to ambush people with it. Everybody has a Christmas memory. <laughs> everybody has, good or bad, everybody's got a Christmas memory that they tend to hang on to, and so I'm curious what yours is. Oh, man, you did put me on the spot. Gosh. Uh, I, 
You know, I, I, my family, I, 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 I dearly love, you know, as, as, as most people do. I have, I have four kids, three married, one about to be. And every year we gather every year we, uh, we celebrate, um, the birth of Christ, but then we just celebrate each other. I, th- I think every year the memory of we, we spend all day from Christmas morning till Christmas night hanging out in our PJs, cooking way too much food, laughing way too much, playing games. And now we're bringing a grandbaby into the picture this year, our first grandbaby. And th- those are those are my memories. I mean, it's the family thing that just kind of culminates and accumulates every year. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, that, that's the perfect memory. Um, just and you know, I think about it, and, and all of my great Christmas memories are are being with people um, and and sharing the holiday together. And particularly now, everybody gets so isolated, and after COVID and and all that, people sometimes have a hard time wanting to be around other people, and and just trying to reconnect with people. I think is so important this Christmas season. Thank God. Thank God there's no more uh, Zoom Christmases. Right? <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness, uh, yes. Listen, I, I, yeah. I've enjoyed this so much, and, and it always goes faster than, than I wish it would, but it's great talking to you, and I just appreciate you taking time to be with me. Eric, blessings on uh, on the new year and all that you do. Keep pointing people to the gospel like you do. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Thank you. Alan Scott with LifeBridge Community Church. Thank you very much and Merry Christmas. Now I need to tell you Merry Christmas from Patriot Mobile. They're a cell phone provider. They're Christian conservatives who got together, started this company to fight for the conservative causes. And the way they do it, like a number of left-wing companies do, is as they grow their profits, they grow their giving to the conservative movement. You get guaranteed great cell service, probably using the same cell towers you're already using in exchange for moving your business to Patriot Mobile. And all you have to do is go to PatriotMobile.com. That's PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. You can go there. You can see their coverage map, how good the 5G, the data, and the voice is in your area down to your house. You can also call them at 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation with my name. And then as their business grows, their giving grows, and you get great discounts. You're a veteran, a first responder, an NRA member, a teacher, so much. It's PatriotMobile.com slash Eric or 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. You will love their business. They are good people, and they would absolutely love to have you. PatriotMobile.com. It is Eric Erickson here. This is the Christmas show across the United States of America. You know, as always, if you go to ericerickson.com, it took me forever to buy that website. So you should go to it. ericerickson.com. A guy in Florida, he made like, like uh, horror masks for movies and, and, 
replicas for sale. And, and for years and years and years, he owned the website. I tried to buy it from him. He wouldn't. And I don't know what happened to him. But the site came up for sale, and I bought it. So I have ericerickson.com, and you should go there. You can follow me around the Internet from there. Or just text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. Let me talk to you for just a moment. I grow deeply concerned at this time of year about mental health issues because I know so many people struggle at this time of year. A lot of you, depending on when you're listening to this, you're either preparing for Christmas or it's Christmas Day. So I'm pre-recording this so that I can step out and have Christmas. And it's going to run on Christmas Day, but a number of stations run me on the weekend. And we decided we would play this in the run-up to Christmas for Christmas Eve as well. And so you may, maybe you're hearing it twice, but you're getting ready for Christmas or it is Christmas or you're winding down from Christmas. Christmas Day has happened, and you're melancholy. That's kind of natural. It, it, it is something that happens. And I just want you to know that if you can smile for someone, it's meaningful. But I actually want to talk to those of you who may be in despair right now, who may be depressed, who you didn't have the Christmas you wanted to have. Let me tell you, that the Christmas you want to have happened 2,000 years ago. This baby was born. It's undisputed. Jesus of Nazareth was born. And this Jesus of Nazareth lived a perfect life, and he died a terrible death, a horrible death. And if that was the end of the story, that was the end of the story. There, there, there's, there's nothing. But Christians believe that, that he died Though fully, without sin, he died. The whole world went dark because God himself couldn't look on him when he was on the cross. Martin Luther said the greatest sinner that ever lived was Jesus on the cross. All the world's sins, past, present, and future, piled up on him. But he conquered death. And he conquered death because God wants a relationship with us. He wants it so bad. Uh, in, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah the prophet, writes about this, that he wants, God does, this relationship with us, and he's going to make a new covenant with the people because he wants to walk among us. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And no longer shall each teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. God wants a relationship with all of us. And it's not any God. Uh, this is not the God of all the other religions. The other religions say, do these things and find God, follow this path, and you'll find God. No, God says, here I am. Here I am. I'm here. I came to you. 
With all the other religions, you go to God. With Christianity, God comes to you. God came down in the form of a baby, born in a feeding trough, in a manger. He lived a perfect life. He died and then conquered death so that though all of us will die in this lifetime, just as he did when he was on the planet, we, like him, will live again if we put our faith in him. If you are depressed, if you are despairing, if you are in doubt, if you are worried, if you are bothered, cry out to Jesus. He is alive. I fully believe it. Yo, my life was when my wife was given six months to live. I had to be the one to tell her she was going to die. Christians talk about the peace that transcends all understanding. It transcends all understanding, the peace that we both had. That's why I do this. That's why I annoy the radio stations of America proselytizing on conservative talk radio. But it's Christmas. It's about Jesus. And I'm telling you guys, you can put your trust in him. You can cry out to him. And I believe he'll hear you and you can feel his presence in your life. If you truly, you're not doing it sarcastically, if you're doing it because you really want him. He'll come to you because he's already come to earth. Put your trust in him. We who walk in darkness deep now see the light of Welcome, it's Eric Erickson, and this is The, the Christmas Show. Waits for a miracle. Welcome the back. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number, 877-973-7425, except you can't really call in right now because i got a guest. Uh, my friend Eric Reed, he's a pastor in Tennessee, uh, like Philip, sadly, a University of Tennessee football fan, but we don't hold that against him. Um, they're, i got to make these jokes before they start really getting good. Uh, but he also runs Knowing Jesus Ministries, and I, every year uh, I get them down to my kids' classical Christian school to kind of walk through uh, what it's going to be like when kids in a classical Christian education get out into the real world where so many people are hostile to their values. So I thought it would be perfect to have Eric with me, so thank you for being with me. Hey, it's an honor, Eric. I appreciate it. I just want, uh, for the record, uh, everyone to know that I actually spell my name correctly. I have the <laughs> correct spelling of Eric. All right. All the people who go E-R-I-C are, are like in dispute with both of us now. That's I, right. They I hate both the, of us right now. That's I get right. the best of both worlds on this one. That's right. So, okay, uh, I, I will do, I will not make the Tennessee jokes because let's be honest, the way they're trending after years of Philip telling me that this is our year, this is our year, pretty soon it is going to be your year. You know, we had we had a year last year, and it gave us a little bit of too much expectations this year, but we are heading in the right direction. The trajectory is good, and I think the days of people piling on us are numbered. I, I, I do think so. 
All of my listeners in Knoxville right now are very happy you said that. So that's right. That's <laughs> okay. Right. No balls. Now, um, let me let me talk to you first, uh, and a kind of a wild card from from what I had um, texted you. I wanted to talk about. Uh, so my apologies for a, a mild ambush, but I know you can handle it. <laughs> um, we're in the Christmas season, and one of the things that I see happening in the church community, and it's really not just the evangelical community. It's it's throughout a, a lot of Protestant denominations now. You've got people who want the church to be more vocal on social issues. You've got people who think if the church raises social issues at all, they've gone woke. You've got people who think they've got to steer the church. I just, I listen to all these conversations, Eric, and I sometimes wonder what if, how have people forgotten the Holy Spirit's at work in our lives? Um, The the church isn't going to fail because we're not really in charge and, and it leads me to actually the question where I want to get to is, particularly at this time of year, the Christmas season, everyone feels like they have to be in control of everything. And we see it in and out of the church, and there's really no room for God to be in control, it seems. Yeah, it's a great it's a great observation. You know, we love being in control, or at least the illusion of control, right? That's most people— uh, are able to cope uh, as long as they feel like they have some level of control. And it's it's honestly when we're confronted with circumstances and realities where we recognize we don't have control, that really demonstrates how much we're trusting God in our lives. Because it's, it's not until those moments or those glimpses when we're all of a sudden confronted with, oh, wow, I don't, I can't fix this. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow that we then find out what we're actually leaning on. Are we leaning on our own understanding or are we trusting in the Lord with all of our heart? And I think you're exactly right. The church is just as guilty as this, as those outside the church. And, you know, particularly right now, just given the political season that we're in, it, I I get frustrated with so many people on all sides uh, that we, I guess it was C.S. Lewis who noted that the, one of the unique things of, Christianity is is the concept of grace, and there just seems like a, it, there's there's not a lot of grace out there for a lot of people within the church to find room to disagree on some issues and still also believe and preach the same gospel these days. Yeah, that's exactly right. So one of the things we talk about in our church is you know we're unified around the the core truths of the gospel. We we recite those in the Apostles' Creed and things of that nature, but we we talk a lot about tiers, understanding tier one issues and tier two issues and tier three issues. And what we try to help our people work through is that, you know, Christians should all believe tier one issues, right? That God is one, three and one, triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Bible's the word of God, right? Jesus is fully God, fully man. He died on the cross. He rose on the third day, right? Those are first tier issues. If we don't believe those things together, then yeah, we can't have fellowship and we can't have unity. Um, but then you begin to move out from there, and you get to tier two issues. You know, we have differences in what we believe baptism looks like, and we have differences on, you know, the gifts of the Spirit, and we could just keep going down the line. Our, you know, more reformed versus non-reformed views of salvation, and uh, you, the further out you get, tier three issues, right? Our views on the rapture, or you know, you could keep going. And and the the problem we often run into, and nowadays everything's so tribal, that we put everything into a tier one or or tier two, where it says. If we don't align lockstep on all these things, we can't have fellowship. You have to be my enemy, and I must crush you. And that's just not that's just not supposed to be the spirit of Christianity. It's okay to have disagreements and conflicts. We see it throughout Scripture. 
but we're also called to unify around the main things and extend grace where there may be differences that are tier two or tier three issues. That's well said. Um, in, 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 now into the heart of the Christmas season. I, I noticed, I guess, four or five days ago now, uh, for those who don't know, and, and I, it's been a while since I've had you on here, um, you and your wife lost your son Caleb a number of years ago, and it was in the last week or so. Uh, and it, yes. it, it struck me when I when I saw your post that it, it was, I, I didn't, for some reason I, I had it in my head it was in the summer, but it was like between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, yeah, and so that's I, right. I can ask you probably more than anyone else I'm talking to. Um, so many people fall into depression and despair this holiday season. Um, their loved ones are no longer here or yeah. the memory they had from being a child, they, they're struggling to duplicate it and they can't pastorally and, and even personally, how do you deal with that sense of loss and talk to others about it? Yeah. So our son died December 1st, 2019. Uh, Caleb was 15 years old and had, you know, a number of medical issues. And yeah, this season, when it starts rolling around, you know, as the Thanksgiving calendar comes and um, we, we move, you know, towards December, we start feeling the weight of it. We start feeling the heaviness when the cold uh, starts happening outside, you know, it's just, it just takes us back um, to, to that, that season where we lost him. And, you know, Christmas is a time of reflecting on the coming of the savior, right? The birth of the King. And, you know, thinking about grief in light of the manger has actually been a really helpful thing for us. Um, you know, our, our daily lives are drastically different without Caleb here with us. There's just no getting around it. And so we should all cherish those around us and, you know, remember the preciousness of life and those things. But we don't grieve as people without hope during this season. Like our hearts can be heavy and we can look backwards and, you know, remember things that we've done and, and we know that we'll never do again on this side of heaven. But we're hopeful sufferers because of this reason. We know that the baby that's born in the manger is the king of glory who sacrificially died and rose again on the third day. We know he purchased our salvation, secured for us an inheritance that the scriptures say is imperishable and unfading and kept in heaven for us. And one day, this is what the scriptures say, and this is what Jesus promised. He's going to return to make all things new, and he's going to wipe away our tears and restore our lowly bodies and usher in life eternal with a reward in in a new heaven, a new earth. And during the Christmas season, our family longs for that, right? We all should. And it should be our cry now, just as it was for the people who were awaiting his first coming. And that's that's where I'm going with this is the Christmas season is about the advent, the coming of light into the world. And that's why we sing songs that say things like, come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. Well, those of us on the other side of the manger and on the other side of the cross and empty tomb still have a longing for that Savior to come. And so Christmas is an opportunity for us to enter into that waiting with those who first waited. But it's also an opportunity to stake our anchor, right, to, to, to put down firm roots and foundations and trust in the promises of God, that this baby born is king, and this king has given great promises that, that all things will eventually be made new. And these tears uh, collected in his bottle, as the psalmist says, um, one day will be restored. And um, that, that, that Savior is coming again. And so Christmas season is about thinking about his coming once, 
and longing for it coming again as we grieve in the in-between. That kind of takes care of the the next question I was going to ask as well as, as what do you pastorally want people to, to think about um, the holiday season? I, you know, I, so I've got an advertiser on, on my program. It's a um, building and loan and the Frost family, they're, they're very good Christians and they, they've been very adamant with me that I, I need to, instead of like selling people on their business during Christmas, like remind people that it is Christ and not commercialism. Um, as you and I are talking, there's actually a TV on the background and, and seeing these Christmas ads. And sometimes it, it almost is hard to remember that um, the manger, the virgin birth, uh, the, the coming yeah. of the Lord, as opposed to it's it's the season of giving, go buy your wife a car without telling her. <laughs> That's right. Make sure it's got the bow on it, too, yes. so it counts. Um, so here's what I would say, though. I, and I, I do think we got to keep the main thing the main thing, and we, we can't we can't get lost in the commercialism of Christmas, but I, I would say this rather than though going to the other extreme, which is to um, dismiss uh, the joy of giving and generosity and um, expressing our love through gifts and things of that nature. Um, I, I think we can tie the two together. I, I think it's a time of expressing our gratitude and joy. And one of the ways that that comes out is through giving. I mean, God's, Love for us was displayed in the giving of his son, right? The self-giving, the selfless giving up of his son. And uh, that was what the scriptures say is the evidence and demonstration of his love. And we get to be little imitators of that at Christmas when we give to people. And, you know, obviously we're making sure we don't get lost in materialism and all those things. But, you know, I, I think it's okay to enjoy the giving and the receiving and recognizing that all of it is because we have a God who's glorious and uh, who became flesh to dwell among us. Well, that is well said. And uh, sadly, these interviews, they, they don't go as long as I would like them to go because I would like to keep talking to you. But uh, I got to get to commercial break. Eric Reed, thank you very much. Thanks, Eric. Once in Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here, The Christmas Show. Merry Christmas to all of you. I hope you have a happy new year. I'll be back the day after New Year's. Um, right now, let me talk to you a little bit more about the Christmas season. Uh, and first, I should tell you, if you want a copy of the show to hear these conversations, if you text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777, you can get them. I feel powerfully moved that I should, for Christmas and for Good Friday, have this show. But I want to comment on politics very briefly for you. I intentionally try to avoid it, but I need to say this to you. God's in control of everything, so you don't need to be angry. You don't need to feel that if you don't do something, the world will go to hell in a handbasket. God is sovereign, 
The world is in his hand. You cannot stop God's will. Whatever happens is part of God's will. He knows it all. He has seen the beginning and the end before creation itself. He set in motion a plan. Now, there's this argument between superlapsarians and infralapsarians. It's a fancy way of saying, did God set all of this in motion before the fall of man or after the fall of man? I'm in the camp that he set it all in motion from the very beginning. There are those who don't think he did until after the fall, but the outcome is still the same, victory in Jesus. The outcome is still the same. There will be a last day. And on that last day, heaven and earth will be made new. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. There's absolutely nothing you can do to change the outcome. And you should take comfort in that, frankly. The beginning begins with the fall. And at the New Testament, Christ comes. And in the last chapter of Revelation, we see this vision. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And this image of, of his name being on their forehead, it's like the reverse of the mark of the beast. It's the mark of Christ. The mark of the beast, the world will turn against all things of God. You will feel persecuted and put upon. You will think that your days are numbered, and the world is coming to an end and you will be fretful, but rejoice if his name is on your head or in your heart. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of the book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy shall be filthy, and the righteous shall do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one of what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city of the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David to the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. 
Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. That's how Revelation ends. In the end, Christ returns, not a babe in the manger, but a king born to die who conquered death, who will come back, who will rule, and you can put your trust in that. The world is going to disappoint you. You will find no salvation in the world, but Christ himself is coming back. That's part of the message of Jesus. That's part of Christmas. We focus on the birth of Christ, but that birth heralds the second coming as well, and you can trust in that because you can trust in him. When we come back, I'll wrap this up for you. Sometimes I fall to my knees and pray. Come, Jesus, come. Let today be the day. Sometimes I feel like I'm gone. Mary had a baby, my Lord. Mary had a baby, my Lord. Mary had a baby, Mary had a baby. Mary had a baby, my Lord. What did she name him? What did she name him? What did she name Welcome back. Him? It is what Eric Erickson here, and this is the Christmas show. It is very unique. Look, I, I acknowledge it, and I want to thank all the radio stations out there that have me on about 45 stations now. Uh, and another a number of other stations will run this particular program. Uh, we make it available to stations, and it's it's. Listen, I acknowledge this is explicitly religious and theological on a conservative news talk station somewhere in the country, wherever you're listening, including my flagship station, WSB. And uh, I I want to thank them for allowing me to do this program because it's not your typical news talk program. And I'll tell you, as I mentioned before, the research says that uh, uh, there are a lot of listeners who really don't like when I talk about theology, and um, it, 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 it can alienate me from a broader audience. And I try to be very careful because I do think I got something to say to a lot of people beyond just Christians. But this is Christmas, and Christmas is not about the, the Lexus season to remember and the bow on the car that the psychopath bought without asking his wife and spending all that money. The Christmas is not about the shopping. It's, it's not about Black Friday. It's the prelude to Good Friday. And I, I just feel obligated. Y'all, I am a terrible sinner, and I struggle with sin every single day. And there are days where sin gets the best of me, and I got to just pray for forgiveness. And there are days I think, gosh, I shouldn't do this show. I'm such a hypocrite. I just, I'm, sin's got the better of me. Why should I do this show? I mean, somebody, they need somebody better than me. But I, this is my show. This is my platform. And we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. All we can do is ask for his forgiveness and repent. And it's a struggle. You know, there's the doo-doo verse in Romans, I, I, I do not want to do sin, and yet I do. And all of us struggle with it. Uh, there are some who take a pass on it and say, you know, it's no big deal. 
And there are those of us like me who on a daily basis, I kick myself. Gosh, I cannot believe I did that. God, I'm sorry. And then, yep, here I am, fall over again. And, and, and you know, if if you keep doing it, are you really repenting and you struggle and you doubt? And, and am I really saved? I, I think people have those conversations. I have those conversations, and I know I am. I have felt the Lord in my life, but I struggle. But I love him. And I, I just, I want to share that love. And I want to wrap this up with, I think, the most profound verse in Scripture in my mind. This is from the book of Jude. And verse 5, it's a one-chapter book. It's not long. Jude writes, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. I say this is one of the most important verses in Scripture because of who Jude is. He introduces himself a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James not James the Apostle. James the Apostle was the first apostle. He was killed by the sword. He was, James was the first apostle killed by the sword. He wasn't the first apostle. He was killed by the sword. His brother John. John is the only apostle to live and die a natural death. Every other one of them was killed. Thomas in India, Peter in Rome. Uh, some of them made it all the way to uh, the, the um, Armenia, some in Africa. We, they were real people. They lived. We know they lived. We know Jude lived. Jude was killed by Herod. And then his children were killed. The Romans decided to exterminate the entire bloodline of the king of King David because they wanted to exterminate anyone who could possibly claim to be tied to Christ. Anyone. So all of his brothers and sisters died. Now, Catholics believe they were first cousins. Most Protestants believe they were maybe half-brothers and sisters. It fits the pattern. Scripture says that he had brothers, and his brothers' names were uh, James and Joseph and Simon and Jude or Judas. We call him Jude, and he had sisters. Uh, a lot of Protestants view them as half-brothers. This Jude is Jesus, either first cousin or most Protestants, myself, believe half-brother. It fits the pattern because in the Near East at that time, the Middle East, uh, you would have children, and the first son was named after the grandfather, and then the second son after the father. And in this case, Joseph's father was in Greek James, and so the first son was James, the second son Joseph. So they're clearly Joseph's kids, it seems. And I believe with Mary. Um, some believe with someone else. But the issue here is that we know in his lifetime Jude rejected Jesus. In fact, John was Jesus's best friend and is an eyewitness to Jesus's brother say, get out of town. We, we don't we don't like you. They tried to do an intervention. Mark writes about the intervention. They showed up and said he's out of his mind. Jesus's mother, who had the angel Gabriel appear to say you're with the Messiah, showed up with his brothers and launched an intervention saying he's out of his mind. Jude wanted nothing to do with his brother in lifetime. Neither did James, for that matter, who also wrote a book of the Bible. Their lives are documented by non-Christians or, or by, by people of the early church and, and by, by historians who weren't really in it just to chronicle the lives of, of the church fathers. We know that Jude was killed. We know that James 
professed Jesus at death, was thrown off the roof of the temple and then stoned to death when he hit the ground because he was still alive, professing Jesus as Lord. And these brothers of his wouldn't even show up at the cross. We know. We've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We know who is there. And his brothers were not there. In fact, they told him. In John 7, there's the scene where essentially they're going to the Feast of Booths, and they say, if you think you're just hot stuff, you should go to Jerusalem and show off what you can do. We're tired of you here. And Jesus said, it's not my time to go. They, and, and John writes, for they did not believe. And they didn't show up at his execution. Jesus is nailed to a cross, has to look down at his best friend John and look at Mary and say, "Here, Mother, here's your son. John, here's your mom. Take, take her in for me. Because his brothers were not there to take care of his mother, to take care of Mary. And yet we learn in Acts that they're all there, the early church, Mary and his brothers, praying in an upper room together. John and then Jude, they become leaders in the early church, and they're all executed for it. Now, I don't know about y'all. My sisters love me, but they don't love me enough to claim that I am the risen Lord. John and Jude, or James and Jude, they were willing to be executed to claim that Jesus was the risen Lord, the brother they hated in life. We know they lived. We know Polycarp lived. Polycarp studied under John. We know Ignatius lived. He wrote. We, he studied under John. We know Clement lived. He's mentioned in Philippians 4.4. He was tied to an anchor and thrown into the sea because he refused to recant. Clement knew Peter and Paul. These are eyewitnesses. The world would have us say, you must delete and subtract all of the eyewitnesses. You must get rid of all the eyewitnesses to prove Jesus lived. We've got more written even by Roman historians, pagan Roman historians that document the life of Christ, early Christians, than we do for many of the Roman emperors, including Nero. We've got books of the Bible. You take Ignatius and Clement and Polycarp, you can recreate almost the entirety of the gospel message from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They quote so much. We know these are early, first-generation Christians after the apostles. They studied under the apostles, and you can recreate so much of the New Testament from what they wrote. These are eyewitnesses. You've got to write a lot of people out of history to write Jesus out of history. And then why would his brothers and the apostles do this? Say, hey guys, let's let's. I got a great idea. We're going to go dig up his body. We're going to get it out of the tomb. And when they come to us, we're going to say, no, no, he's alive. And they're going to say, if you don't recant, we're going to murder you and your whole families. And we're going to say, no, no, kill us. We kill us. Who would do that? Who would concoct a fraudulent scheme, knowing it's going to get him killed, and be, yes, let's die. It's insane to think. And here is Jude, who was actually hauled before one of the Roman emperors and grilled about his brother. James by then was already murdered, his brother, Jesus' brother James. And Jude says, my, my brother, and again, I chronicled outside of the Bible, chronicled by witnesses who wrote about it. Jude says, my brother's kingdom is not yet come. It's an eternal kingdom. And the Roman emperor let him go. And then later, the Romans decided they needed to exterminate everybody in Jesus' bloodline. And they killed Jude, and they killed Jude's children, and they killed Jude's grandchildren. They killed Jesus' sisters and their husbands and their children. They killed them all. All for what? Something had to have happened. Had Jesus just died we would have. There were a lot of people who claimed to be the Messiah. They all died, 
But this one guy, a whole lot of people were willing to die to say he came back to life. And I would submit to you he did. I would submit to you that if you know anything about the New Testament and its era, that this lie would not have perpetuated itself. It had to be true. And based on the standard of evidence of ancient history, based on the standard of evidence of of current history, something clearly happened. I believe in the resurrection. I believe in the life everlasting. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Christ. And if I'm right, and you don't, you can cry out to him. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Virgin by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried, and descended to hell, and the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from which he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And it gives me such encouragement to do so, knowing that though my wife cannot get rid of the cancer she has, Jesus himself will make all things, including her, new. And I would invite you this Christmas, if you're doubting, if you're wondering, You can put your trust in him, and he'll do all the work, and that's the great thing about him. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, wrapping up the Christmas program. Um, listen, I, I, I this this program it rubs some people the wrong way, and and I know that, and and I don't want to sound overly apologetic because because I'm I'm glad to do it, but I also I, I don't want to lose listeners because I'm so explicitly talking about faith issues, and as I mentioned, I just sometimes think I. I'm not the right person for this. I'm a deeply flawed person. I I am a regular sinner. But I just, I, I want to thank you guys for hanging out with me here. Uh, and I know today a lot of people aren't listening to the radio. Um, and for those of you who are, it, it means so much to me that you're you're here listening. And I, I got to, again, thank Jim. I got to thank Charlie and Philip. Philip started working for me right out of college. What a whirlwind, too, because right out of college, I, I did the, the 2015 Red State Gathering where Trump was uninvited, and and then a few months later, I nearly die, and 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 he's hitched his wagon to me. I hope I'm here for 30 more years. I really, I, I want to be on every talk radio station. If you want to pray for me, pray for growth of this show. 
Um, I I really want to be the most listened to noon to three host. I, I do. God has blessed me. I fell into this job by accident. Y'all, I was not meant to be in radio. I was a lawyer. I was a political commentator on CNN and Fox and, and a blogger. And one day a guy got arrested in a crack house, literally, and he happened to be the morning show guy in, in my hometown uh, where I was living, really. And um, they, they asked if I would do it. I was on TV. I said, sure, I'll give it a try. Three hours turned into a week, turned into three months. They fired that guy. I got paid in nothing but an expired gift certificate out back steakhouse. But the head of Cox Media Group was driving through Macon, heard it, thought it was my show, and offered me Herman Cain's job. And so many people stood up and, and testified that I was a good radio show host. Martha Zoller, Sean Hannity, Rush Limbaugh, people who spoke up for me. Uh, Greg Mosheri at, at Cox vetted me, and and I fell into radio completely by accident. That was the longest job I've ever had. And I just, I, I believe, I, I know it's alienating to some, and I know a lot of radio stations and radio companies wish I wouldn't, but gosh, God has blessed me so much. He surrounded me with good people, Jim and Charlie and Candace and, and Philip, Andrew and Kobe uh, help out so much. Ken and, and Chris, thank you so much for allowing me to do the show and allowing me to sit behind this microphone. And all of you new stations and the folks at Compass, thank you so much. It means so much to me that you would give me your ear for a few hours a day and put your trust in some of what I say. I, I try not to abuse that trust and try not to abuse your attention. But thank you. I, I, I really do mean it. I am so grateful. Uh, and, and thank you, God, honestly, uh, forgive me my sins. Blessed are you, O Lord, who raised me from the dust of the earth and stitched me together in my mother's womb. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. I am profoundly blessed and so don't deserve it, but I'm so blessed that you love me. Thank you for letting me do the show. Merry Christmas on behalf of my team uh, and your radio station that you're listening to me on and on behalf of my family. Now, I listen to the play this program song every year when I go out. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Merry Christmas to all of you.